Hello, this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today's podcast, the year winds down, kind of reflect on the past little over a year or so, started recording a podcast that I didn't I don't. I still don't really put much time or effort into. Really, I just kind of record thoughts on that for an hour and make them available. And then they're even available on Spotify and stuff. It's kind of crazy, but just something I sort of needed to do: vent, air out grievances, contemplate the state of affairs, because it's a it's a weird world, you know. It, it's just cathartic to help kind of try to process it. But I know there's others that are going through it that are like, man, this shit's crazy. But you just sort of, you know, we're, we're all going through it together, so we just sort of hunker down and make the best of a situation. But still the yearning for something better, you know. Um, but it's going to be hard to get to a better situation until we, you know, basically stop doing bad things. And, and right now our country is still in a situation where we're kind of determined to do the wrong thing. You know, there, there's still too many among us that are, um, you know, just, just yearning for darkness, you know, and, and, they're, and they're working hard to get there, you know. Uh, they're fighting hard to make sure that, you know, government is corrupt, and that government can meddle in all kinds of personal affairs, and that government is very authoritative. And, uh, you know, it's not just the wealthy and powerful that are fighting for such things. You know, it, it's it's the common folk that are un- unfortunately fighting for such things right now. And that's, you know, it's deflating. You know, we we have to be united as a working class, regardless of what we look like or what our political views are, we have to find some kind of common ground. Um, but, uh, you know, there's been certain groups that have uh, been able to increase their power and, and wealth by, you know, sowing division, you know, and, and pitting the various working class against each other. And that still goes on. You know, obviously the easiest way for people to stop being so divided is for, you know, for many to just seek out different sources of information. There's plenty of areas to get information from. You know, Fox News and InfoWars are certainly not, you know, reliable sources of unbiased information. They are not that. There are others, you know. All information sources have certain level of biases. Um, you know, Fox News and Infowars, though, are incredibly biased. So when people are getting information from there, um, they end up making decisions that are ill-informed, you know, because they're, they're being misled, you know. And, and in many cases, they're not seeking out alternative information sources so that they can get a full, rounded picture of what's actually going on. And so they end up getting manipulated. In the modern times, over the last several years now, uh, the Republican Party, one of the two 
main options in this country uh, is the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy. In addition to that, most recently they've been the you know the national political organization that protects the individual interests and aspirations of one Donald John Trump, and this includes even you know donating funds from the party to pay Donald Trump's legal bills. Yeah. So they've they've kind of gone to varying extremes over the last few years. It's kind of whatever they can get away with, um, they're they're going to try to get away with it type of thing, you know. So if they can kind of pick this absurd candidate and people still vote him anyway, and then that candidate can make all kinds of promises and then in about face, you know, just like as soon as he's elected, sign something in the bill that had nothing to do with what he promised, but that's like the first thing he gets to. If people still keep supporting him, you know, well, then they're they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna keep doing it, you know. Uh, four years ago, the Republican Party cut taxes for the wealthy and corporations. Yeah, that was the first thing they got to. You know, we have to start pondering that as a society and kind of really addressing this thing that one of the two major political organizations, the first thing they got did when they were in power, their crowning achievement, was when they cut taxes for the wealthy and corporations. It's something they're extremely proud of and it's the cornerstone of their legislative agenda over the last four to five years. They cut taxes for the wealthy and corporations. Yeah. Shortly after that, Jeff Bezos got to fly in a rocket ship to the space and his wealth increased by several billion. Same with Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett. Billionaires became even more wealthy. Neat. Yeah. Healthcare is not a right in this country, nor is education, but billionaires, individual human beings with billions of dollars in that worth, that net worth went up even more four years after the Republican Party cut taxes for the wealthy and corporations. That was the first thing on their agenda. Top priority. And then when the when the sort of argument against us being able to go to a doctor when we're sick is because that's socialism. It's very it's very confusing how the Republican Party and pundits are able to get away with that message. It doesn't make any sense, you know. Like there's individual human beings with thousands of millions, you know. In some cases, tens of thousands of millions. You know, because each one billion is 1,000 millions. That's a lot of millions. A lot of millions. Probably too many millions for one individual human to have. An immense amount of power. You know, you could, you could literally buy $500 million homes. And it, and it barely makes a dent. You would still have $500 million. Yeah, you know, invested earning 1% interest, that 500 million, that's 5 million a year in interest, only earning 1% a year. 
Yeah. See, after that, it's five and a half million. So, I mean, it jumps up pretty quick. You know, pretty soon you'll be earning ten, twenty million dollars a year in interest, even though it's only earning one percent. That's after you bought five hundred million dollar homes. And that's only if you have only one billion. Goodness gracious, if you have twenty or thirty billion, that's twenty or thirty times as much. You're talking exorbitant amounts of money. So those specific types of people, billionaires, extremely multinational, big multinational corporations whose CEOs make $25 million a year, and et cetera, et cetera, those very specific types of entities and people do not need a tax cut, ever. <laughs> we need to stop doing that, and working class people need to stop voting for an organization whose primary objective is making sure that those very specific types of people, Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, coal barons, you know, the the Koch brothers, or brother, because one of them passed away a while back, you know, common people need to stop voting for an organization that, whose main interest is making sure that those types of people, the wealthy billionaires, have more money, you know, and reducing their tax burden, okay? Those, if those people, those specific people, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, all et cetera, et cetera, billionaires, multimillionaires, if they have to pay an estate tax, wealth tax, and a marginal tax, do you know what happens to them? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, they're still wealthy. Yeah. They're still extremely affluent. Exponentially more affluent than you are. Do they have to work? No. No, they do not have to get a day job simply because they have to start paying all three of those taxes. Nope. Their way of life stays exactly the same. Their ego, their ego takes a hit, though. Yeah. Their net worth is $2.8 and it drops all the way down to $1.4 Oh, my goodness. How will they ever survive? Pretty easily. Yeah. But their ego will take a hit. As we all know, Donald Trump... His entire, who he is as a person, is tied 100% to the, his monetary net worth. Yeah. When, when there was rumors that his net worth was only, quote-unquote, several hundred million, an exorbitant amount of money, um, he, like, started suing people. He sued Tim O'Brien because Tim O'Brien, a reporter, journalist, many, many years ago, said that Donald Trump's net worth was not a billion at the time. Uh, because it wasn't. He's actually seen the records. Donald Trump sued, but then when he sued, that uh, allowed for, what's the term, legal term? Uh, uh, fuck, I forget. I forget what the legal term is, but it's where basically the, uh, the, the defendants are allowed to see information to prove their case or something, you know. So he was suing, saying that the shit they were saying was false, but then under discovery, I think it is, you know, Records were revealed. They had to remain sealed. But, you know, at the time, Donald Trump's net worth was not a billion. You know. Yes, he inherited $400 million. And yes, it would be very easy to become a billionaire if you inherit $400 million, even if you never work a single day in your life. Yes, totally doable. Yeah. Just like the example I gave earlier, if you're only earning only 1% interest, you know, you start out with 400 million, 
That's $4 million in interest in a year, only at 1%. So you put it all in a pretty basic investment, some sort of fixed annuity, 5 to 6% rate of growth, nothing crazy, pretty modest investment. Um, you can even have it to where it pays you, say, $10,000 a month forever. Um, and the, the, the value of the money would still go up every year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, inheriting that type of money puts you in a level of affluence that can basically never run out if, if you're not completely inept. Donald Trump's pretty close. He's pretty inept and he's pretty stupid and he's a, a poor manager of money and always has been. But the amount of money that he was given as a birthright allows an extreme, um, margin of error you know he can fuck up on a huge colossal scale some big national level and accrue massive amounts of debts and it doesn't really matter because he just sort of transfer one wealth debt to another thing and just kind of sort of move things around he has varying levels of ownership stakes and so many different things that he was just given at basically as a birthright 400 million dollars is an insane amount of money you know that's a gargantuan amount of money to just be given, you know, and so it it creates an obvious and clear extreme advantage, you know, that disproportionate for everyone else. Donald Trump is not self-made. He was a guy who inherited four hundred million dollars in today's dollars. He inherited it from his father. His foray into the spotlight was back in the seventies when he refused to rent condos to minorities. And then uh, him and his father were sued. He renovated an ice hockey rink in the early 80s. He renovated a hotel in New York in the early 80s, but did not put his name on it. When I say he renovated it, I mean he, his name was on the project. Architects and, you know, builders and stuff did the actual work. He wore a suit and made public appearances and stuff. He was the kind of figurehead of the project but he was not doing the actual work but that was an early success he then got into all kinds of varying business adventures many of them failed some really bad stupid ideas that he had over the years some one of the dumbest ones he'd ever had was uh, Trump steaks it was a steak that you could buy it was like sealed in plastic um, that you could buy at Sharper Image. And Sharper Image is an electronic gadget store. So, yeah. So there'd be like a big, you know, some sort of big Trump display and the only way, some big gaudy sign with Trump on it, I love these steaks or whatever, you know, you gotta eat these in an electronic store. You know, but that, that's the kind of Insanity, you know, he was just this sort of weird D-list celebrity that just kind of lingered around. Any fame was good fame. Any publicity is good publicity. He didn't really care what it took to be in the spotlight as long as he was in the spotlight. And so usually it was because he was fucking up again. You know, he was doing something stupid. He was bankrupting a company. He was cheating on his wives. He was saying something racist or sexist or just stupid. Um, and that's allowed him to linger around in, in, in the spotlight. He was not a successful businessman, but for some reason, many people in this country thought that. Uh, when The Art of the Deal came out, I was a kid. 
And I remember thinking at the time, that The Art of the Deal came out, and it was like a, a bestseller and stuff. Like, that guy wrote a book? <laughs> like, how did that guy write a book? He's so stupid. He's not good at running business. He had already had, I think, one or two bankruptcies at the time. He, like, he was already kind of known that he was just kind of a playboy, and but I guess it wasn't, like, super direct in the way it was explained at the time, like, as he was in his heyday. But it... It seemed pretty clear to me, you know. And he did not write Art of the Deal. He's the subject of Art of the Deal. Um, no, I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, Tony Schwartz is the guy that wrote Art of the Deal. And on the cover it says, done with Tony Schwartz. But no, Donald Trump doesn't read or write books. Y you know, <laughs> I don't know why people think that. I mean, yeah, his name's on the book. But no, he was interviewed for the book, basically. Tony Schwartz wrote the book. Donald Trump's the subject of the book. So it's kind of like a biography of Donald Trump and kind of goes into his, uh, you get to kind of, I have no desire to read that. Didn't when it came out and never understood why it was a bestseller and never understood why people would want to get into the mind of that kind of guy. But some people, you know, he has lots of money. Maybe I can do what he does, but it, it, there's some certain elephant in the room situation with Trump that just for some reason just rarely gets addressed. He inherited $400 million. So whatever kind of business <laughs> bullshit he's teaching you, it, it's all rooted in the fact that he was given massive amounts of money just to start. You know, And most of the things he's, he's created as business ventures have failed. You know, so he's, he's not good at business. But he has so much money that he can pretend that he's good. You know, he can he can buy image, you know, that's just pure marketing. You know, he, he could buy and sell you an image and the image is just pure bullshit. What's behind the image is nothing. There's no substance, you know, um, it is purely image. Donald Trump doesn't, he owns some real estate holdings and stuff, but a lot of the stuff that around the world recently that had Trump's name on the building it wasn't a building that he owned. It was just this weird arrangement where that the owners of that building, you know, in order to try to generate a little bit more publicity or whatever, would pay Trump to have his name on their building. But it's kind of a kind of a catch twenty two because you put that name on your building, you're deterring huge portions of the because he is a love him or hate him guy, you know. Most people, I would say don't really want to associate with Trump. Uh, I remember w when I lived in Vegas, there was a Trump Tower in there. It's the only hotel, it's one of the, f well, maybe not the only, but one of the few hotels in the Vegas that does not have a casino because he, uh, you know, he lost his gaming license due to the, his mismanagement of his casino in Atlantic City. But I remember just this, it just looked gaudy and stupid. And it's like way, it's kind of was, uh, certainly not prime real estate by any stretch of the imagination. It was kind of way off the strip, you know, way, way off. And it didn't have a casino. So I guess there is that kind of quirkiness to it, but it was, it was just a weird spot. But that's Trump, you know, it's kind of, you know, he he's a bad businessman who pretends to be really good at it but it's pretty easy to see that he's not. You don't really have to peel back too many layers. He just, it's all fluff. It's all just show, you know. He's not really good at anything. 
You just uh, accept self-promotion. That's it. But that's always been the case. You know, um, after his sixth bankruptcy in the late 90s, he disappeared. But then the producer of a game show, the same producer that produced uh, Survivor, um, thought that Donald Trump would be a good host for a business-themed game show. Yeah. That show became a big hit. Several seasons in, Barack Obama became president of the United States, first African-American president. Barack Obama was born in Hawaii in 1961. Hawaii is a U.S. state. It had only been a state for a few years at the time that he, Barack Obama was born there, but it is indeed a state. It is indeed one of the 50 states. So... Barack Obama's father was born in Kenya. His father, not Barack Obama, but his father. His mother was born in, I think, Kansas? Midwest somewhere? I forget. And his grandparents, you know, and Barack Obama has lineage going back to the United States hundreds of years. You know, his mom's side of the family is, you know, American. You know, his grandparents, I think, lived in Hawaii? I forget. Anyway. Um, all that to say that, you know, yes, he, Barack Obama was born in Hawaii, yes, he's African-American, but, and yes, his father was born in Kenya, a different country, but that, he was born in Hawaii, though, and that, that is a U.S. state, so it's kind of, you know, but, again, one of the ongoing things with Donald Trump throughout the years, his foray into fame, way, way back in the 1970s, is racism. It's always been... Racism is, generally speaking, going to be bad for business. So he doesn't lean as hard into that one as he does the fact that he's, you know, a, a greedy, sexist, arrogant pig. You know, he, he's just an asshole. Those kind of things he leans into pretty heavy. He, generally speaking, sort of, kind of, is a little more subtle with the racism, but sometimes not so much. Sometimes he leans into it pretty heavy. Like back in the early 90s, there was five teenagers that were accused of a crime that they did not commit. Yeah, Donald Trump paid to have an ad in the New York Post, a big full-page ad, demanding that the death penalty be brought back. He wanted those five teenagers to be executed. He was positive they were guilty of the crime they were accused of because of what they look like. Yeah, and that's called racism. That's what it is. Yeah, when you judge a person's character solely by what they look like, and what their race is, that's called racism. Yes. If you have a picture that you want to show of Donald Trump winning some sort of uh, award, and that's like your proof that he's not racist, I'm sorry, that's not going to do. That That's not sufficient. Yeah. He's been an, it's been known for many decades that he is racist. Okay. And, and the sort of like, trying to point, well, there's black people in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, people are not a monolith, you know. People that fall into certain racial groups or ethnic groups or religious groups are not a monolith. There's people that, for wh or for whatever reasons, are going to not go with the mainstream or whatever, you know. I mean, and... Uh, Donald Trump's an opportunist. So if if there is a few people here and there that aren't 
you know, the the more traditional MAGA, well, he, he's going to really spotlight them, yeah, and, and really kind of put them on the stage even, and then to really highlight them so they really stand out, so it makes it really look like his crowd is really diverse, even though it's not. It's primarily white people, yeah, that are huge Trump supporters, because he is a well-known racist. And again, you pointing to the fact that there's a few black people in the crowd or even on stage, that doesn't mean that Donald Trump's not a racist. I'm sorry, that's not really evidence that he's not racist. That's part of his story, and it's been for decades. You know, um, he will certainly take advantage of certain people's naivete um, to, you know, to increase his own power and such, you know. Like, he understands that racism is bad for business, so he, he can't lean too heavy into that. However, he is racist, and he does have certain racist views. The, this, the cornerstone of his campaign back in 2016 was the building of wall. The, the wall is about racism. I'm sorry if... I, I, I get it. You, you <laughs> Yeah. You really believe the things that he was saying about Mexicans. Yeah, and you believe them so wholeheartedly that... I know, that's called racism. Yeah, you genuinely thinking that all those people are all bad. Yeah, that, that's what racism is. That's, yeah. So he's been, he was trying to scare you and make you fearful of the other, the, these other people. They're different than you. You know, they're, they're going to murder your family and deal drugs and they're going to invade the country. You know, so he, he was tr really trying to make you scared. We need a wall to keep these other people out. It was the cornerstone of his campaign. So he was really taking advantage of certain people's fears and certain small-mindedness towards other people that are from a different area. And also not addressing why are those people leaving what are they fleeing from you know the refugees they're they're escaping areas you know they're fleeing for their lives why do they think our country is the place to go what is it that we were broadcasting to the world many years ago are, are we supposed to be like some kind of democratic society or something a land of freedom and hope why do people think that that's weird you know, we're the land that elected Donald John Trump, you know. Um, but for some reason, yeah, there's millions of people around the world that aren't even Americans that genuinely think the United States of America is the land of the free and the home of the brave, a land of democracy. There are genuinely people who think that, who don't even live here, who aren't even citizens. They actually think that about us. Wow, you know, yeah. As we were trying to build a wall, to, to keep them from coming here. Wow. Um, but yeah, they're, they're also fleeing because some of the, you know, there's drug cartels that start taking control of countries. Drug cartels can get into power because certain plants become illegal. Yeah, and these are plants that there is no substitute for. You, you know, you, you can't, you know, cannabis is cannabis. The cocoa plant is cocoa plant. Certain plants are certain plants. Mushrooms are mushrooms in the fungi family kingdom. Certain 
types of organisms that exist in a world, they can't be truly replicated in a lab or something with a drug. There is no substitute. So there is a certain demand for these certain kinds of plants when they become illegal. Well, then you can charge a highly inflated price. And so that creates an uh, incentive for a black market. Yeah. And so it becomes this sort of weird, vicious cycle where certain drug cartels, these sociopathic drug cartels, can charge a highly inflated price for a, you know, a concentrated version of a plant and accrue massive amounts of money and then just empower and control and sort of live, you know, with a pretty vindictive cruelty. And it scares people and people have to flee scenarios, you know, um, and it gets crazy um, and weirdly enough they end up fleeing to some of the very places that banned these plants to begin with and, and created the very market you know that allowed those drug cartels to, to thrive um, obviously if you know certain plant if there is no prohibition of any type of plant you, you can't have a black market of that plant it's just it's not they can't charge that much you can't charge you know, 40 bucks. On the, it's going to be difficult to charge 40 and 8th in the nearby futures for cannabis um, when it's just purely legal and anyone can grow it. You know, maybe you just have to have a license to grow it. It's, it's a plant. requires water and sunshine. Other types of plants that can be processed down into a very uh, concentrated version that's more like a speed called cocaine. Um, it still comes from a plant. Still, its original form is still a plant. It's more of a process to get it down to co cocaine, but yep, still a plant. Whatever your thoughts on it, government shouldn't really be involved in dictating to people what is good or bad for them. And but because it is, it's creating more bad. Yeah, it's creating a market for you know drug cartels. It creates a product for them to sell at a highly inflated price. Trying to affect demand. You can educate and all that sort of stuff, but you know, people use substances for a reason. And uh, government man trying to stop that through punishing and stuff, and it, it doesn't work. You know, just creates a massive headache and a, sort of this weird, vicious cycle. So, it's a lot of interconnected things when it comes to policies of, you know, immigration and drug policy. There's a lot of interconnected stuff, healthcare and all that. You know, um, but the building of the wall, it was really about racism, you know, playing on people's fears. And then, you know, once in office, it was cut taxes for the wealthy in corporations and just fuck off about the wall, um, you know, because obviously the wall is a stupid idea. It's a big, huge, colossal waste of money that only costs more money in the future. There is no gain from it. And, and that's... That's just the reality of it. You know, the, the wall doesn't solve any problems. It creates problems. That's it. You know, massive expenditures and you get nothing in return. You get despair. You get flooding. You get fucking up of migra migratory patterns, not just of humans, of course, but of other species as well. Humans are migratory. Um... We have to come to terms with this, you know. It, it would, it's so weird to me that a country that is so primarily immigrant, you know,
can have such disdain for immigrants. But it's been that has been a part of our history since the beginning. You know, even people that were only one or two generations, you know, here, as soon as there's new people. Look at these new people. You know, this is our land. We got here first. Well, no, there there was people that were here for thousands of years before the Europeans got here, you know. But it's not too many of them left. It'd be nice. Maybe that's the future of humanity. Some someday there'll be. I mean, there'll still be "quote unquote" borders. I mean, I, th I think there'll still be sort of like this area is this and whatever. But I think that a more fluidity of humanity, where people can roam around. But uh, you know, obviously that that isn't until authoritative dictatorships go away. It also means some sort of coming to terms with like the sort of corporate behemoth empires that exist. You know, um, global commerce and all that is great, but big, huge, massive corporations is probably not so good. You know, they get huge and become nations unto themselves. And then there's conglomerates where you'll have big multi-billion dollar corporations that basically just merge with other multi-billion dollar and the these massive, hugely capitalized entities, while there's still huge numbers of the people that don't even have access to clean drinking water and food, water, food, shelter, and basic, basic stuff, you know? And like, there's a way to kind of cut the fat a little bit, you know, cut, reduce the excess, just a little, you know, a few percentage points on the upper, upper ends of the affluent class, you know, they're, they're they're living lavishly, you know, doing quite, quite well. You know, it, it seems like they could tone it down just a smidge, and we could use that to kind of make sure the basics are being cared, taken care of, you know, like people have access to health care, schooling, a basic stipend if shit gets crazy. You know, we have a cyclical economy that's up and down, and big corporations do weird shit sometimes. That's unpredictable, you know, because they're chasing after profits and, you know, we the people kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes. So a kind of a basic little stipend that's just kind of a little bit of a buffer, you know, when things are getting crazy. Um, do you still have unemployment insurance, that type, type of stuff? Sure, for the people that want to say they're unemployed. It's one of the goofy things about the unemployment rate. When they say the unemployment rate is X, does that mean that it's that exact percentage that aren't working? No. How many times when I was unemployed in my adult life did I declare as unemployed? Never. <laughs> I've never collected unemployment, but I, I tried it once and it was such a bureaucratic nightmare, I said, fuck it. So, you know, I think you have a basic income that's just like a basic stipend. Obviously, if you want more than the basic stipend you get as a right, what would you have to do? Well, the vast majority of people would have to get a job and work. The affluent class don't need to do any, anything. Affluent class don't have to work. They don't have to work an hourly job. If you inherit $400 million, million you don't need to ever work. You simply put it in a fixed annuity that's earning 4 to 5% interest. You take out about $10,000 a month. The money grows in value every single year. The $10,000 a month annuity payments never run out. 
maybe in a few years the value of the four hundred million dollars was up to about five or six hundred million. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you don't need to have a job. So, but the vast majority of people need to work in order to just get the basics. So the basic income, whatever that is, you know, five six hundred a month, maybe even as much as a thousand or something. Something. Whoa. How could we ever afford that easily? <laughs> easily. You know, there's individual human beings in this country who have 1,000 millions in net worth, several thousand millions. You know, there's individual humans with the net worths in the 30,000 million, 30 billion, 30,000 millions. You know, and and we we have politicians complaining about a, a basic stipend <laughs> to give to people just to have a bit of a buffer. To make sure they got, you know, good food and calories in their belly while they're working their ass off. To make sure the corporation they're working for increases their profits and can pay a nice dividend to the shareholders. You know, those people doing all the work, it'd be nice if they have access to health care. And if they want to go to night school while they're going, work in the corporate life, earn a degree or something, why not? You know, if you're working hard, that's the thing with free education, you still got to get your degree. You still got to study. You still got to go to school. Why do you have to also pay out extra money? That seems dumb. Why don't we have a higher percentage of our population who's healthy and educated and a little less stressed out? Why? Well, because, you know, they, they probably make smarter decisions. And maybe they'd be less reliant on the corporate empire. Maybe they'd have a better understanding of the negative impacts of being so devoted to corporate life. You know? Maybe. And so maybe that would decrease profits, you know, for some of these, you know, owners of these big corporations and such, you know, maybe these uh, certain industries that are that should be fading industries like the coal industry. It should be kind of starting to fade, you know, and, and fade quickly. And those that are in those fields need to start looking into other ways to earn money. Um, if you're willing to, you, you know, spend eight to ten hours a day in a deep, dark hole working your ass off, I think, yeah, you know what, I think there's a lot of other things that you can do. Yeah, I think the world is your oyster. Like, if you're able to do that and willing to do that, well, shit, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. You don't, you don't have to just keep going down into a deep, dark hole with, you know, breathing in toxic coal dust all day long. You don't need to do that. If you're willing to do that and have been doing that for a while, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're definitely capable of doing that are stuff that we need to be doing. You know, it's, it's wide open for you. You don't have to just stay a coal miner because you've been doing it a while or your grandparents did it or whatever. It's, it's tradition. Cool. It's tradition. It doesn't mean you need to keep doing it forever, though. You know, why was it a tradition? Because it was how we ran our economy. It was very important that we had people doing that. But we're coming up with other means, you know, for fuel here, other energy sources. And they are going to be the way. Solar powder, solar is obviously. I mean, look up at the sky, at the sky you know, a big massive ball of energy up there. Yeah, there's ways to kind of 
you know, our, allow ourselves to to soak up that energy. Yeah, uh, we haven't perfected it awesomely yet, but obviously that is the future besides just digging big holes in the ground and burning it up. That's not going to be the long-term strategy, obviously. We can't just keep burning the stuff that we dig out of the ground. You know, we, we got to think a little bit longer term than that. You know, so obviously just sort of soaking up the energy that's just coming down to us already, you know, that's obviously what the future is, obviously. You know, it's not going to be in 50 years we dig big holes in the ground and then we burn it. It's just going to look really stupid, you know, to still be doing that. So we know that. So we have to transition away from that the sooner the better. From, you know, digging holes in the ground and then burning the stuff that we dug up. You know, we are better than that. We know that that's not the best way to do it. Understanding we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's the way we've, you know, been doing it for a while. We dig holes in the ground. We scoop up this stuff, you know, and then we burn it. And then it makes stuff go and makes stuff run and turn on. And, you know, that's that, that's how we've been doing it for quite a while, you know. And people have made livings off of doing that. And that's their, built their lives around that. You know, you just a deep, dark hole, you know, and pump out the stuff. Sometimes it's a, a thick goo. Sometimes it's like a black rock. And then, you know, various processing, and then, and then we burn it. And it releases all kinds of toxic fumes into the air, and those fumes kind of linger around sometimes. If it's in the right area, you might get a bit of filtering through trees and stuff, but... We cut down a lot of trees so the sort of natural filtering mechanisms go away. The longer those chemicals hang out in the atmosphere, the more it breaks down the ozone layer and the more the sort of uh, negative aspects of that big massive energy ball in the sun gets to us because it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a massive ball of energy and so there's all kinds of things that it's sending our way so there's like a kind of a protective shield around us called the ozone layer and when that gets fucked up too much then there's sort of negative uv rays that get into us and that kind of causes us a little bit of damage so not to mention just the air kind of that toxic air kind of lingering in the air longer it's not good for you to breathe that stuff you know especially if you're real close to it so you know, hopefully it, we won't be doing that. Like when, you know, hopefully someday I have kids. Hopefully someday they have kids and be a grandparent someday. You know, hopefully when I, if that happens, um, you know, we're in a different direction. Maybe we are in something where there is more, you know, organic farming and greenhouse things and just more sustainable living type things. Um, you know, the, the people that are totally focused on material things, it's like, that's all fine and stuff, but it's like, it's why the rest of us have to be forced to work a whole bunch just because a small group of people are totally focused on massive wealth and power. It's like, you know, you want to devote your life to living in a big mansion, fine, but I, 
I ain't, why do I need to work 40 hours a week just so you can, you know, and that, and that's kind of, that's part of the reality of the, of the modern economy. Millions of people have to bust their ass so that the CEO of the company they're working for can get paid $25 million a year, you know. We, we can't pay these people more. We can't just pay the, the CEO a million a year, a, a perfectly decent salary, and then maybe some bonuses on top so it gets up to like three or four million. No, we need to pay him 25 million, and then we need to pay all the people doing the work dog shit, you know. And then we need to fight any, any sort of raising the minimum wage. We have to fight against the minimum wage. There, there's parts of the country where the minimum wage is like nine or less, I think. Like nine seventy five, I think is <laughs> and what are whatever people's intentions uh, of what the minimum wage was originally meant to be, the the reality is you, you have to have some kind of constraints on greed, some some kind of basic things, you know. Like McDonald's is a multi billion dollar corporation. Regardless of what type of service they provide, regardless of how easy you view the work that it is there. It's a multi-billion dollar, highly profitable corporation. There is no excuse to pay their employees dog shit, regardless of how old they are, regardless of how much education they have. Who gives a shit? It's a highly profitable corporation. It should be able to pay the people that are doing all the work a decent living wage. That's it. You know, I, I don't understand the mindset of, no, we have to pay them dog shit. We, we have to treat them like shit so that we can, you know, Incrue maximum profits. Why can't you still incrue profits and, and pay them a decent wage? You know, because that's, it doesn't care. It's purely about profits, increasing shareholder value, and being able to pay the CEO and the board of directors massive amounts of money, millions of dollars a year, but they're going to fight against, you know, a basic minimum wage. It's dumb. And again, it doesn't really matter how easy you view the job. <laughs> That's really irrelevant. You know, easy and hard and difficult is totally in the eyes of the beholder. You know, like, yeah, you could start working at McDonald's within a few hours, even a day or two tops. Yeah, you're going to pretty much have the menu mastered and, and know what to do. But yeah, it, it's still a job. You're working, you know, and you're providing service to people they're spending money it's a business you know it this idea though that the the people doing all the work for a business need to be paid at, at an absolute bare minimum and that's just and any sort of reasonable minimum political organizations are going to fight against and stuff it's just it's unfortunate you know one of the reasons why I don't, I try to never eat at McDonald's. Their food is horrible, you know. <laughs> I don't really understand why McDonald's is still such a popular thing. They make awful food and they don't treat their employees very well, you know. But whatever. I did work at McDonald's for 13 months. I was treated okay, I guess, but, you know, it's just one of those things where you, you realize that when you're young and you don't have a lot of experience, that's it. You just gotta. You have to work for those kind of companies, big, massive, hugely profitable corporations. They're gonna pay you dog shit, okay? And the CEO of that company, while you're working there, will make twenty-five, thirty million dollars a year, 
Are you ever going to know that CEO? Is he ever going to step foot inside the, the specific location you're at? No, of course not. Does that CEO ever have to make a cheeseburger, a quarter pounder? No. <laughs> he doesn't have to do any of that. He wears a suit every day. You know, make sure the profits are good. In return, you get met, you get paid seven dollars an hour and maybe a little bit of a bonus here and there for college help. But that's how it goes. You need to accept it. I don't really understand why we can't find a little bit better ground. You know, we can't treat young people a little bit better. I, I don't really care if you're unexperienced and stuff. Like we we can find some happy median. You know, there, there's a way to have a, a little bit better bell curve. Yes, if you're first starting out inexperienced, not much, you're not going to make a whole lot. But you should be able to make, we need to come to some kind of common ground on what a minimum is. If someone's providing their time and working, they need to be paid something kind of reasonable. What's reasonable? You know, we, we got to, I don't get what these people that fight against the minimum wage, you know, like, a business is just a business. It's trying to earn a profit. If you're the owner of a business and you're trying to make a good living, great. How are you paying yourself? You should you should be abiding by the Philo accounting concept. First in, last out. If you're the owner and you're purely just the owner. In other words, you're not doing any actual work. You're just owning the company. You need to be the last one to pay yourself. Yeah. Now, if you're the owner and you're also the CEO... Well, pay yourself an hourly wage initially. And then any sort of, but still last, <laughs> you know, make sure you're paying all your other people decently before you worry about paying yourself. Invest in the company. And one of the ways, best ways to invest in the company and to in ensure a more steady productivity is to invest in your people doing all the work. They're the ones doing all the work. That's what's most important. That's what's going to, you know, increase, you know, return customers and happy customers and, uh, you know, just a best chance at steady productivity is to, you know, have your employees be happy and thriving, you know, so healthy, paid well, less stressed out, you know, those employees are going to work better, generally speaking, so. Bounced around a bit today. There's so many like weird hot button issues in our modern country. There's so many. It's so. It's just. It's so weird the the bipolar nature of the modern debates of things because there's so many things where it's like where it's like because the other organizations are proposing something like you know the tends to be more democratic, the ideas of pro-healthcare and education is right. But it's like because it tends to be more Democrats that are proposing that and not as many Republicans, then the people that vote Republican are like anti-healthcare is a right because it's not coming from Republican leaders. But I think if more Republican people with ours next to their name just said, yeah, we need to have healthcare as a right, but it's all just in the messaging. You know, if you're a conservative... Healthcare as a right and education as a right is purely a conservative type of thing because um, it reduces, it, it increases sort of a predictability or something, reduces variance in um, the cyclical economy, I would say. You have a more steady, reliable workforce, healthy, reliable. So it just, 
less slippage. You know, there's uh, just improve, improved efficiency, efficiency. People are healthier, more educated, less stressed out. That that can improve improve productivity. And I would think that would be the conservative mindset. The liberal mindset would be more that just people have access to health care. You know. So I don't know. It's it's all just purely messaging. There's no reason why a person who identifies as small government, fiscal conservative Christian values can't support health care as a right and education as a right. You can totally be very small government, fiscal conservatism, support those kind of things, and be very pro- Healthcare as a right, and education as a right. There, there's no reason you can't be both. You know, it's all just purely messaging and how you, you know, explain what healthcare as a right is. And healthcare as a right is our society directly funding hospitals and healthcare clinics, so that when people get sick, they can go to those places and get healed. That's and that's it. Very simple. Health insurance, Medicare, no, 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 not, not, not health insurance. Funding the healthcare institutions around the country that already exist, and making sure they continue to do what they do. If we need more, let's build more. If we need more people, let's train more people. Type of thing. Yeah. So the people that want to devote their lives to taking care of people, they can do that. Yeah, and, and the places that take care of people, hospitals, have, they are there. So when people get sick, they can go to those places. No, they don't need health insurance or <laughs> no, they don't get a bill later. Why would, no. How are health insurance companies going to remain profitable? Yeah, right, that's something they're going to have to work out. They, they will certainly be far less in demand if health care is a right. And so when you get sick, you just go to a doctor and get healed, obviously. You're not going to need health insurance company, you know. So that company, in order to remain profitable, uh, is going to have to sort something out. Uh, some companies like long-term care, that sell long-term care or disability insurance, will still probably have a certain level of demand for their products. But just straight-up health insurance where you pay two, $300 a month, and then when you go to a doctor, you pay more money. Yeah, that, that type of service is, is going <laughs> to disappear in demand. You know, there's just not going to be a demand for, I'm going to pay you $200 a month so that you can pay part of the bill that I will never get. You, you know, because so, again, healthcare is a right, just means healthcare is a right. So when you get sick, you just go and get healed. Yeah, they'll check your ID and stuff because, yeah, the healthcare professionals need to maintain up to date medical records. Not the government, the healthcare professionals that are, you know, running the hospital and stuff and taking care of you. So yeah, you just, you know, show them your ID so they can, you know, keep tabs on you, make sure the give you the best care and all that kind of thing. And then, yeah, and then same with schools. You know, there's already schools that exist that are already publicly funded. So that they, they receive public fund. They just wouldn't be able to charge you tuition and stuff directly. So basically you apply to a school, you get accepted, and you, and you start going. What does that mean? Well, it means there's more people that have a degree, there's more educated people, there's more healthy people. You know, Generally that's going to reduce stress and anxieties and maybe in, increase productivity. Sounds good to me. 
Is there going to be less reliant on corporate empire? Probably. I would hope. Yeah. Small businesses are better. They are more unique. McDonald's does not make good cheeseburgers. It is not the best place to buy a cheeseburger by any stretch of the imagination. It's not even the top hundred in the entirety of the country. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no. That You can do better. You know, it, it, as wonderful as you think a quarter pounder is, there are better places to get a cheeseburger in this country. Many, many, many places. Uh, I'm not even going to worry about listing them off and doing something stupid like that. Um, reach out to people. You know, go out to different places, different communities. A lot of times the local little, you know, burger joint in a small town that's one off, there's only one of them. That's like the best that's going to be better than McDonald's. Yeah, it might cost you a buck or two more, but it's a better burger. And it might have even been like beef that's, you know, just local too and stuff. You know, probably never frozen. You know, the hockey pucks that come in the big box. That's what McDonald's has. So, you know, <laughs> I give people love and it's sort of this like weird cultural thing. But it's just a business. McDonald's is just a big, massive corporation that makes shitty food that's bad for you. If you ate it every single day, you would get sick. Okay, and you would start having health problems. Watch the movie Supersize Me. Okay, and, and yes, the movie is meant to be entertaining, and but but it's also that is, you know, don't do that. You know, Morgan Spurlock did that as a kind of like almost like a warning. You know, and, and kind of an exaggerated thing that probably most people should know, but maybe it's not clear to them. McDonald's is not something you should eat often. Very unhealthy for you. But if it's unhealthy for you to eat it often, should you really ever eat it? <laughs> but, you know, it's tradition, and I don't know, people get emotional attachments to corporations sometimes, and McDonald's is certainly one of them, you know. Um, and then they might even talk about the fact that there's the Ronald McDonald House or something like, oh, Whoopity-doo. That's cool that a big, massive corporation does at least a little bit of good with the massive amounts of monies they earn. But anyway, hope everyone has a happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Safe New Year. Stay safe out there. God bless. This is Gary. Take it out loud. <laughs>